What's up, fight fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, October 3rd, 2021, and this week's episode, Exciting Contenders, back on track. We'll look back on UFC Vegas 38 and the main event between Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker, as well as the highlights from the undercard. We'll talk about the latest in Bellator, MVP getting the split decision over his rival Douglas Lima, and we'll talk about the latest in MMA news. A lot of fight announcements, a lot of stuff going on, as well as the announcement of Julia Budd joining the PFL. And we'll close out the episode talking about this coming Saturday's event, Mackenzie Dern taking on Marina Rodriguez at UFC Vegas 39. My name is Gabriel, and I am joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Happy October. Happy... Hmm. It's officially pumpkin pumpkin spice season. (laughs) Oh, pumpkin pie, baby. Yeah, I can't wait. No, pumpkin spice. Pumpkin pie, you know, it's never (laughs) bad for pumpkin pie. But pumpkin spice, like if you had it in August, we judged you. If it had it in September, we judged you less. But... October, go ahead and go crazy. Have fun <laughs> with your latte, have fun with your uh, fall uh, wardrobe colors, whatever's your jam, just go for it. Yeah, change everything in not- your ha- change everything that has to the burnt orange for fall, you know, that look like the leaves, go for yeah, it. Yeah, the, the brown, yellow, orange, yeah. I do have a wreath. I'll have to fish that out of a box somewhere. My fall wreath. Uh, that's about it. I'm not much into decorating the house. Is it different Never. from your Christmas wreath? It is. It is different. <laughs> but I'll tell you, the Christmas wreath usually stays up till June. <laughs> um, so That's not nostalgic. That's just lazy, Natalie. That's come on. <laughs> Respectfully, come on now. <laughs> but now with Joe, my boy, you know, we're going to have to do it properly. Like my mom did it and most people, you know, you get all the decorations for every season. So now I have to be that mom who does all that stuff. Whereas when it was just me and my husband, I didn't put any effort into it. But now I got to go buy some, some, you know, ceramic pumpkins or something. Oh, he'll be fine if you don't. But that's <laughs> that's just my judgment. Anyway, that, that's my stance on the holiday yeah, decorating. Yeah. Um, before we lose too many people, let's talk about a busy weekend in MMA. To, it was a back-to-back. We haven't had one like this in a minute, so it's kind of nice, if I'm being honest. Friday, Saturday. Let's start with Saturday. Tiago Santos taking, taking on Johnny Walker. Um, a lot of people, probably ourselves included, really thought that there was going to be a lot more damage, a lot more uh, separating of the consciousness being sent to the dark place kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, none of those things. Actually, both men, I thought, fought a very technical and tactical fight. I think that it was probably more surprising out of Johnny Walker, just how infrequently he chose to engage. And I think that's out of respect for the striking of Santos. Santos, I think the fact that he took more risks just seemed to pay off for him. I think that he... Being the more technical striker going in, I think that actually helped him. I think that he just kind of bit down and he had that better shot selection a couple more times. And that's what allowed him to get to Johnny Walker uh, to win the fight and really just take control of a lot of those rounds. I don't think a lot of them were won by much, but, you know, there's certainly moments where Johnny, to his credit, he really ate Thor's hammer from Santos' fists. A lot of leg kicks. 
I did feel like a couple more risks for Johnny Walker could have really benefited him and turned the tide, especially late in the fight. But I think you also got that example, whether it was, I'm forgetting now, the fourth or the fifth, but obviously Santos just cracks him clean. And you could tell, even though Johnny took it well, that it was like, yo, that we heard that one hurt. So I think that that's just proof why he didn't want to just do something reckless. I don't think it was a blowout by any means, but I will just say that um, definitely just smarter tactics from Santos and possibly just a little too uh, careful on the side of Walker, but I think that you can respect why he fought it the way he did. What about you? Well, it wasn't, uh, I won't call it a snooze fest, but it did have me thinking a little bit of Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou. Because of oh, that's almost unfair, man. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. A little bit, a little bit. Okay, I didn't say it was like the same thing, but you got these guys with these amazing physiques, with these great highlight reels, and what I saw was two experienced fighters, two talented fighters who really, really didn't want to lose, and weren't really, really weren't willing to take any unnecessary risks, especially from the Johnny Walker side. You know, we want to see the the flashy showman. But I think he thought, I got to take this one seriously because I know who's on the other side, um, who's standing opposite me. So it was smart. But I think if you're Johnny Walker and you have this really exciting, adventurous way of fighting, like, can't you figure out how to still do that against bigger threats? You know, as you move up in your career, you're going to just get bigger and bigger threats. And I wish his fighting style wouldn't have to completely be turned off in order for him to feel like he has a chance to win in the cage against the, you know, the higher ranked opponent. So that's just one thing. Tiago Santos, you know, he did what he had to do. The body kicks were pretty, pretty powerful. Yeah. That shot he cracked Johnny Walker with also, you know, Johnny Walker has a heck of a chin. He's so muscular. And so I think he's got a lot of strength in the neck and he saw it coming a little bit like at the very end. And that also makes a difference. You know, it's the ones you don't see coming that really get you seeing stars. So all in all, it was a fine fight. It's not what I was hoping for. Um, but at least it, 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 Tiago Santos put in, you know, we had some good moments thanks to him. Also side note, looks like he got his tattoos refreshed. Like they're really popping off the, off the camera there, off the TV screen. So that was cool. Um, I didn't realize how sort of dulled out they were until you could see that they got re-inked. So good for him. Um, it was a fine fight. It was what it was, but, um, I, like I said, it, it was clear that it was kind of not make or break, but Tiago Santos, Johnny Walker, they both knew, like, I can't lose this fight. And if I do lose, I, I can't do it in some, like, embarrassing, you know, meme-worthy way. So let's just take this right down the middle. We'll be serious. We'll get our put our head down and do some work, and then, you know, we'll call it a day. And that's what we got. So what I'll say is I think that for Johnny, this fight will either age gracefully or age poorly. And I know you could say that about a lot of fights, but I think more particularly, it is going to play into what exactly goes next for Tiago Santos. And so to kind of segue into that is that um, I'm not really sure what they're doing at light heavyweight. So the only thing I can honestly assume is that... When did Jiri Prohashka beat Reyes? Was that about April, or March? Mm, yeah, 
I mean, uh, and we're talking, let's be honest, uh, we are not getting any indication that he's actually about to fight a guy like Rockich or someone like that soon. So when I see that, and I think about the fact that we're T-minus, you know, 30 days from uh, Blahovich and Tashira fighting, and assuming Prohoshka, uh, what I'm hearing is Prohoshka is probably going to be the alternate weighing in, doesn't mean he'll fight, but, you know, in case of emergency... But the way I see it is that I would have... You asked me a couple months ago, and I think I did say it. I say Rakic Prohashka. Because I, I feel like, even though he's been on a great win streak, I still feel like Prohashka needs that really big surging contender victory to lock in the title shot. What I'm feeling is the UFC likes that breath of fresh air so much that they're not even bothering. They're just saying, look, just wait, we'll give it to you. It'll just be a while. But when you think that Blahovich or Tashira may not fight again until, even if they get a first round knockout, maybe February or March next year? I mean, that kind of makes me wonder, it's like, well, what do we do with the rest of this division? Because Rokic just beat Anthony, well, not, it's been a year, but Rokic beat Anthony Smith, Rokic beat Tiago Santos, so now who do you pair Rokic up with? And then for... Tiago Santos and Anthony Smith, do you run that one back at 205 pounds because there's no other options? Because I think that Dominic Reyes right now is kind of on the the pendulum is swinging down. There's a swinging yeah. up. So the, really, the only way I see this working is if you re you know you pair up Santos and Smith because I just don't see Prohashka uh, taking a fight right now and getting off the timeline for a title shot. I can't disagree with you, and I actually do like Smith-Santos. That's a good fight. I think Smith will be more game to sign up right away. I mean, I think Santos didn't, you know, he didn't look like he got really hurt at all, didn't really get touched. Uh, Anthony Smith is probably okay now, ready to go. Maybe we can see that fight sooner than later. I really like it. I think it's going to be a good showing for Anthony Smith because he's on back on that climb, and he's back on the rise in a way that isn't, like, you know, desperate for the belt or desperate for a chance to get to the belt. And that's that's when you see the best Anthony Smith, when he's just fighting to fight. What do we do with Rockich? Mm. Uh. Look, I, I, I get it. And I think even Cormier brought it up. That fight with Santos wasn't pretty. That one... It, it, was, it was the kind of fight that made you want... People felt... The way they did about Lewis and Smith, uh, Lewis and Ngannou, mm-hmm. except it, because it wasn't as high profile, it didn't gain the notoriety. Yeah. However, he's on a great win streak. He did beat Smith. He's been doing well. It, uh, I feel like he's just about to get shafted, to be honest, because I really don't know. Uh, there's just nothing that screams out to me besides Prahashka. And it just seems like they don't want jury for him. So I don't know if he's going to kind of get that Islam Mahachev deal where he just gets somebody who's lower on the totem pole because everybody else is taking a different option. But that's what I keep uh, going to is I don't really see anybody that could, you know, that works for him. Maybe Magomed Ankalaev, who's fighting Volkan Uzdemir, but uh, that's really all I got. What about you? Uh, it's just one of those weird ones where something will 
happen and and there will be a fight for him and it's probably going to be him having to either be on standby or just willing to take like a much lower ranked opponent just to stay in the in the mix um but yeah i mean i i don't have anything else to add to that i think it's just kind of a wait and see for him and it is what it is so you agree and you you copping that and telling me i don't got an answer for you either they're yep, getting yep, them. yep pretty much yeah <laughs> No, it's fair because that, that's why I'm like, I really, I really don't know. Uh, you know, he's in that weird spot where he should get a fight that he's not getting. But uh, like, you know, I think it's going to be kind of like Mahachev. I mean, things are just going to kind of work out for him in that nice way when they're supposed to. But I will say that, yeah, yeah, I know that he kind of feels like he's the kryptonite of everybody right now. He just. He kind of just lures everybody into that slow style, like Santos said. But um, yeah, that just makes me wonder, how do you make all these pieces work? And I'm assuming we'll find out a lot more after 267 at the end of the month. But that's where I'm at with them. Um, on the In the co-main event, uh, I was very excited to see Kevin Holland back out there. He was defending takedowns and talking trash. You know, That's he's hilarious. right. He's very rare that he simultaneously does those things. So there was reason for optimism. <laughs> and then my man Kyle Dawkins just, you know, just uh, spear right through him in the middle of that first round. What were your thoughts? Oh my God! First of all, yeah, talking to DC and DC is like, oh my God, bro, please, <laughs> please stop. Um. Yeah, he defended the takedown. Uh, you know, it, it was a little bit of work, I think. Uh, no, he didn't get tagged. I think they rolled around the cage a little bit, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Then the headbutt. Oh, that one's tricky. You know, the 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 confab, the caucus scene afterward with all the refs and the commissioners and Sean Shelby and that hilarious shirt. You know, everybody was confused, but it seemed like it should have been pretty clear, you know. There's a headbutt, the... The knockout or, t- or, you know, loss of consciousness was caused by a headbutt, and that's no contest, right? But I guess they had to watch it over and over again from different angles. So the the waiting was a little bit um, nerve-wracking. That's a, tough sh- that's a tough one for Kevin Holland, right? Nobody wants to not lose that way. Um, but he, you know, also props to him for not even making an issue out of it, like, he didn't know it was going to be called a no contest, and he took that loss. You know, he got choked out. He tapped out. Um, he just took it, and that was it. You know, he was going to move on with his life. So props to him for doing that. He's got a, a good spirit. He's a, a good sportsman, even even with the trash talking that he does. But uh, it was a heck of a headbutt. I mean, you see his eyes go up, shoot up into his, into his head. He falls forward. He just kind of wakes up because of the impact of the canvas, and uh, don't see, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. Um, I do hope they run it back soon. You could hear Kevin, Kevin Holland telling uh, Dacus that as much. And, um, you know, I think he actually said, whenever they have, a, you know, an opening for us, let's just do it right away. So I think that makes sense. It made for a good highlight reel, but all, otherwise it was, you know, it was just kind of strange. I mean, to me, um, I think, one of the things that was awkward about it was the fact that they were doing the... Um, it, it seemed like the conferring was more whether or not they're actually going to make the call. I think everyone knew pretty quickly what had happened. And I think that um, with the ref, it came down to the fact like, 
Well, and I believe it was Herb Dean who said, if you don't feel good about it, you can no contest this. Like, that's not unheard yeah. of. That being said, I think he knew that he he made a judgment call. And I think that upon the review and the replay, he realized the severity of the headbutt. And it's like, I, I get it because I'll, that was a fight changing move and it, unintentional, but still illegal. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but not all, all headbutts are not equal. And quite bluntly, that really led to, I, I'll i say, to finish for Kyle Dawkins. And respectfully, could he have still won that fight had it not happened? Absolutely. But I can't tell you he was blowing out Kevin Holland beforehand for me to feel good about that call if they did hold up the, the W there. Now... Can you talk about, well, they still would have probably, Kevin Holland would have probably just made a lateral move and Kyle, same thing for Kyle, and they just call it a day? Maybe, probably, but I think that there was just a lot of, uh, it just felt like it was more of a personal guilt for the way it was handled, but you could have called that either way, and I think people would have reacted the same, because now I do respect that Kyle Dawkins is like, hey, you know, had he recovered from that, y'all would have been saying this was the Kevin Holland, he survived the illegal move. I certainly can understand his frustration. But once again, the way that it played out, I can't tell you that, you know, I felt good about, oh, well, that was a clean W. So it was either they were going to both make a lateral move. And I believe they said that because it was a no contest, they both don't get a win bonus. So oh, it's geez. like, now, mind <laughs> That's you. That's terrible. Okay, that's on paper. UFC could always cut the checks and no one says anything. We don't know. But uh, yes, on paper, that could be what happens. So it was just a, you know, not the best situation. But I feel like that's exactly what we saw play out in real time. And the way that it was handled with the whole everybody conferring and then they're whispering right into the microphone. And it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, live TV, but... um. Yeah, look, I mean, like I said, the ref, I think he just realized it and was he was trying to make it right the best he could. But the fact is, it was always a no win situation. Plain it li like quite literally. <laughs> yeah, literally. Right. Yeah, but um, <laughs> uh, I, look, I look forward to seeing them both. I like the killer instinct out of Kyle. I liked what I saw out of Kevin. I heard that he's thinking about moving to 170. He's a very lean middleweight. So I don't know how I feel about that because that is 15 pounds. But if that's what he can do, if that's what he's feeling, perfect. Because it's either he's got to bulk up a little more than he is or he's going to have a really tough weight cut to 70 over 85. So I'm going to take that one as my wait and see. Cop out. <laughs> um, at the weigh-ins, before we talk about Bellator, Aspen Lad. The by now you I know I sent you the clip I think a lot of people have seen it by now, um I will be honest it, and I I read her statement and uh, weight cutting for females is just different than it is for guys and this has been proven mm -hmm. everyone has said it I think everyone who's actually knowledgeable on the science of it understands that uh, women have uh, you know premenstrual external factors that affect their weight cut that men don't. I'm trying to say it as correctly and as accurately as I can. But um, the fact is, she said that she had a rough cut. I will say we've seen her look bad cut into 35 already. 
that Jermaine Durandamy was one of the more alarming visual weight cuts, right? And that was her last fight. That was the last time we saw her. Remember, it's been injuries and injuries that have kept her out for the last two years. So now, when I look at uh, where she's at uh, and the way that played out, I can't tell you I'm comfortable about Aspen at 35. And uh, once again, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt that she had a tough cut, but the last one was really rough too. And she didn't really give us a reason on that one being a rough one. So I will say that's a little alarming. The way that this all played out from... Well, actually, I'll just ask you on that before we talk about the... You know, she's obviously gotten some serious accusations from people. But what were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, up until the accusation part, I just thought, well, okay, she's having another problem with making weight. And, you know, we've seen some fighters struggle a little bit in a row before they get it right. Uh, Mackenzie Dern, I think, right? She had some problems earlier on, and now she's 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 on on it and having no issues. So... Um, people just get annoyed and frustrated when this happens over and over again. You know, think about Kelvin Gastelum and Dana White saying, like, he's moving up to 185, that's it. And uh, so so that's on its own. It's like, okay, well, that sucks. You obviously need to go to the PI or invest more time in in your diet before camp. But the accusation part was kind of surprising to me because just – just seeing the video on its face, that didn't occur to me. You know, it wasn't like the the DC, you know, pushing down on the towel or even the Kelvin Gastelum one where he was like resting on his coach's arm. Uh, this one just seemed like, well, yeah, she's having a hard time and that's it. So I was a little bit surprised. But then once I read some of the feedback, I thought, well, like, I guess, you know, but part of me still thinks that when you're in those situations where you're trying so hard to cut weight, you can only muster up so much energy to do something. We've seen it where, you know, people can, you know, walk up to the scale and then like once they stand there, it's too much. And so I think she had enough energy to get on there the first time. And then the second time, you know, it could have been stress, anxiety on top of where her body was. You know, I think it just, it was just too much. And she could probably feel that this wasn't going to go her way. And a lot of things were going on in her body and her mind. So I'm not so convinced that this was a you know deliberate uh, plot by Aspen Lad to to not not fight or to not make way. I don't know what would have been the the purpose of faking it, but um, in any case, I, I'd, I'd be curious to hear what you think. Um, so one of the things that I did notice in the comments was the fact that uh, it, it was a very odd sequence because you notice they had the uh what the stanchion the this thing you know the the quote unquote curtain right it's like a box i've seen it in it person used to be a dozen like a times tur- like a tunnel right now it's like a square it, like a it's like an open square with the back open so fighters can walk up and walk out and you know it doesn't interfere with the scale and all that and then you saw however the um the officials were holding up a towel anyway which confused the heck out of me and then I also read that it's like, well, the officials are trying to hold the scale still because she was shaking so much and it was uh, hitting the, not the scale, holding the the stanchion, the curtain, because Aspen was shaking it and it was affecting the scale. 
and then there were people saying, well, she's lifting her... Uh, I haven't seen the clip. I, if someone wants to tag me and uh, send it to me, that Aspen was actually, besides not putting both hands up, she also had one foot off the scale. Which, <laughs> like I said, I, I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it with my own two eyes. There's all of the people, and there's the foot not on the scale. I just haven't seen it. But you put all that together, and I was like, well... Uh, Either way, she shouldn't have been fighting. And so the only thing I could say is that if that is the case, I I feel like, one, there should be responsibility on the officials. If your fighter, one, can't put both hands up on the scale, two, can't keep both feet on the scale, if that is the case on the feet, but we saw with our own eyes it was for sure the hands, that fight shouldn't be happening. But um, in terms of Misha's comments, I was like, well... You know what? It, it didn't look good, but what I will say is that the second there's any kind of tomfoolery going on, uh, that's automatically this fight isn't happening. Because if you can't get an accurate read on it, and look, I know we like to joke about DC and the towel and all that, but no, seriously, like either you are that unwell or you are cheating the system. Either way, the fight shouldn't happen. So right. Um, to give Aspen the benefit of the doubt, I feel like the UFC should, uh, and this is me getting probably more, you know, like by the rules political, but that she should have to show where she's at in her weight cut every day in fight week. And mm-hmm. that might seem extreme, but the fact is we're, we're talking about her safety, right? If she wants to make Bantam weight, check in with her and let's see if she's on target to make 135 cleanly um if not you know what this is just a matter of you know uh, i know she's a younger contender and um you know as uh, all of us we grow um maybe like look it reconsider going up to 45 and uh, you know just so deal with it from there because either way i didn't like what i saw and so if you're not going to give me something that makes me feel better about her making 35 i think the move to 45 is an option but in terms of any uh, trickery with the scale, all I know is if you're shaking that much, you shouldn't be fighting anyway. And if you were trying to cheat the system because you were that far off, then you definitely shouldn't be fighting. So that's the end of that. But I will say, I did not see proof that she was lifting her feet up. And all I saw for sure is that she never did get both hands over up in the air during the weigh-in. So... I will yeah, say, um, Misha Tate did come with a bit of a venom that I didn't expect, though. I know. I thought, oh, maybe she's, is she trying to pick a fight? Or maybe, you know, if you think about Misha's journey and, you know, transforming her body the way she has, she's probably just um, put off by someone who's young and has all the potential. And, you know, when you're young, you should be able to, you know, I mean, I remember <laughs> eating McDonald's at midnight and it was no big deal. And so Misha Tate's probably just, saying like, oh, I'm busting my butt. I'm spending all this money to be in shape and to make weight. And, and you can't even do it when you have all like the genetic, you know, uh, the genetic favor. Like her genetic, metabolism um, is still younger. And all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but as for 145, I'm, I'm all for it only because like anybody knew going to 145 is great. And she's already in the UFC. So they definitely need bodies over there. What I will say, though, like, you've seen Kayla Harrison and Cyborg and Julia Budd and 
I don't know if I could say Aspen, she goes to 45 tomorrow. I don't know if that's her weight class, you know what I mean? She's kind of in that weird little middle ground that, you know, uh, I don't know. I will say I feel like she is built a little smaller, so I think that I don't know if size-wise she could compete with those girls who are natural featherweights, but um, I respectfully, I know there are not too many of those in UFC right now, but, you know, we're supposed to get there, right? So that's why I make that comment. But yeah, um, it, it was. I just didn't like what I saw on Friday. And I wish Aspen the best, certainly uh, for her health. I just hope it's um, whatever she's got going on, just can address it and get, you know, whatever she needs to taken care of. And uh, I do think that she's an exciting player. Uh, what I will say before we move on, I was very excited to see her back. Because we know how shallow 135 is. And we talk about this frequently lately with Amanda Nunes, you know, bouncing around. Aspen Ladd would have been a great player to add to the mix. And I know we got Irene Aldana right now. She's kind of doing her thing. But I will say that um, taking Aspen completely out of the picture, when we were expecting her to kind of be that fresh face after Jermaine and all that, all of them have had their turn... It just makes me feel like, man, what is it about 135 that we just... It just seems like the cursed division, you know, like... You have a bunch of girls competing and it's like the Amanda Nunes effect. It's like no one could get into the lioness's den, you know? It's just a tough one. It is a strange time for the 135 women's division. But it sort of makes sense because... It just gets trickier as far as, like, just think about how great 125, 115 is. It's just like on the women's side, the speed, combination of speed and power is at its best at 115. And then, like, specifically at 125 with Valentina Shevchenko. At 135, like, you have bigger fighters and they're coming in, you know, like, it's just a bigger range of, of skill set. Uh, disparity of skill set, I should say. You have the people that are just super special and have a well-rounded, excuse me, game like like uh, uh, Nunes, Jermaine, Holly Holm, even Irene Aldana. Her game is getting better, and now Misha Tate's back in the in the mix. She looked great at one in one fight. We'll see how she looks against different competition. But um, you know, it's just you're a little bit bigger. It's harder to be faster and the competition isn't as even. And so that's why it's like kind of a, a division where we just have the same two or three fighters at the top circling each other, fighting each other, fighting Nunes. Um, you know, it kind of just is what happens as you go up in the female, uh, on the female side. The, the skill set evolves and not everyone catches up. It's just, it, I mean, we've said it. I mean, the title didn't get contested for all last year. And, mm-hmm. you know, respectfully, the first bantamweight title contender we've had in over what will be nearly two years is on a very beautiful one-fight win streak. <laughs> there is something going on. You get what I mean? It's just... It's like... It's well, like ground... how much of it is it the... Groundhog it's Groundhog Day in the Bantamweight division somehow. 
Anyway, I, we we could always discuss it later. We'll talk because I know we got a few things more. Part of it, well, yes. Let me I, just say this one thing. Think is it Amanda? The champion, right? Yeah, because think about how even though Valentina is so dominant, that division is churning through fights uh, at the championship level, right? Like she'll fight anyone, and she needs you know her time to prepare, and that's it. But she's always game. And on the other side, Nunez just feels like, you know. She has, she fights when she fights and she has, you know, personal things with her, you know, life going on and she's not like chomping at the bit to defend her belt. I think she kind of just feels like I'm the greatest and, and that's what it is, what it is. So I'm surprised I haven't done an interim belt yet. Uh, maybe they don't want to piss her off. Uh, but yeah, I think it has to do with the, the style, the energy, the perspective of the, of the champ. It's like two. Two, 205 pounds was a couple of years ago. They kept trying to get new blood, but they just couldn't get through that trifecta yeah. of Jones, Gustafsson, Cormier. That's really mm-hmm. what we're seeing at 135. But, you know, it, it's like at least those three kind of had that turnover. Amanda doesn't really have that triumvirate. You know, Valentina no. isn't a bantamweight, so... Anyway, we got uh, Bellator to talk about for a lot of mm-hmm. fight announcements um, to move us along. Uh, I thought it it looked like a lot of fun in London. I want to acknowledge that. It looked like, you know, they really were ready to enjoy some uh, big name, you know, high action mixed martial arts. I liked MVP's walkout. Uh, I thought it, it was really cool. You could tell that the... The show was built around him, and I like that they let him, you know, get more creative going out there. I scored that fight for Douglas Lima. I think that he stole that at that third round. I thought the first round was very close. Um, I know, it, look, this was a competitive fight, but it felt like, uh, similar to the main event, it felt like those key moments that swung the rounds were very few and far in between either way. There was, and look, this is once again a lot of respect. I think that, you know, MVP knew that, hey, Douglas Lima, whether he's slowing down, whether I'm faster, the fact is he's still got the power to put me out and I can't get reckless with this guy. I think he respected him. I thought Lima did a good job when he got the fight to the ground, but I just felt like those moments for MVP, I'm not saying it was a robbery but i did feel lima just got enough control time to steal the rounds i felt like Le- uh sorry page didn't do enough with those big moments that he got out of uh lima what about you yeah that's fair the fight for me was at the end of it it looked like like i you know i was just like man that's like a stalemate like i have no idea <laughs> who won you know mvp had those moments with you know, it wasn't even like combinations. It was just one punch. It was an elbow, uh, flash moments, and then and uh, uh, Douglas Lima, yeah, would take him down, hold him down, and MVP did a pretty good job of holding on to the locking onto the wrist. But eventually, Lima would free himself and land some shots and elbows. Yeah, but at the end, I thought I don't know who won this. I guess I could see you know MVP because he he knocked him down. Even though they both times that that Lima fell down, they sort of felt like impact like falling from like a, a a hard push you know with a with the punch attached to it i thought you know what i need to watch this fight again to really get a sense of it but the fight itself was not exciting enough for me to have to want to watch it again i might at some point but 
it just really was one of those where I couldn't get the full picture in the, in the initial viewing. So I guess, so it makes sense that it's so like split. Lots of people have it for Lima and then on the other side for MVP. If you were to just look at the minutes, I think Lima had more time with, you know, on top of MVP overall. Um, I don't know. It's a really tricky one. And, you know, you always have to ask yourself, is it because they're in London and, you know, how impartial can the judges be? It's, you know, it's one of those things where you'll just never know. It's not the fight I was hoping for. I'm sure it's not the fight most people were expecting. I will say MVP looked better than I thought he would. When we talked last week, I, I felt like he had just, he was very one-dimensional, that everyone had already figured him out. And, uh, you know, he could beat lesser opponents, but not someone like Douglas Lima. You know, Douglas Lima was very patient, a little tentative, but but mostly patient. He knew not to charge in. And he also had an opportunity to almost repeat his his knockout of the first fight. So that was that was kind of funny. But overall, I thought neither fighter put on a show, and it would have been nice if we got just a little more action, a little more daring energy from both guys. But again, you know, this is a situation just like Santos and Walker where it's really, really important for either fighter that, you know, they have to win. They don't want another loss or, or another loss against a particular opponent, whichever the case may be. And so you just end up playing it a little bit safe, and that makes the fight just a little bit boring. So I heard MVP, and I brought this up. I, I spoke to him at Virtual Media Day, and I asked MVP, you know, the one knock on you, because everyone loves watching you, you know, some people criticize your the opponents you've had and, you know, this and that as you've made your way up. How much would it mean to you as a striker to win the championship over a dominant wrestler like Amosov. Now, he did say that, like, to me, the, you know, it's really about the win. He said, like, if I were to beat him, that wouldn't mean that he's, like, a trash wrestler. And he compared it to Masvidal and Askren. But to me, you know, so I'm like, okay, like, this was the win you needed. You are you beat the top-level guy, right? And now you're finally Michael Venom Page for a title shot. And I'm hearing him say, I look at the ovation I got, I'd rather do the trilogy with Lima. And the first thing that went through my mind is like, are you ducking the most dominant grappler in your division, Michael Page? <laughs> Please do not tell me I just heard you say that. I, I just... Uh, okay, very bluntly, MVP Lima 3 is probably going to be 10 times more exciting than what we would get from Page versus Amosov. But I still felt like... Uh, uh, just say you don't want to fight grapplers and I can be <laughs> happy. Because I felt like, uh, you know, if it's about testing yourself and proving you're the best, what more satisfying victory could you get in Bellator than taking out an undefeated 29-28-0 a wrestler, not named Habib, but still, and winning the title that way. I, I was just a little shocked. And you know what? Once again, if he wants to make, kind of like Sean O'Malley, if you want to make more money fighting different fights or like Jake Paul, let's do it. You're, you're very, he's exciting television. But the fact that he went with that, I was like, I can't believe he just said that. 
Yeah, he doesn't want to lose. And not losing is more important than winning a belt. And he'll probably, you know, it'll be a more exciting, entertaining fight for him. Probably he'll get more money if he fights Lima again. But I don't think there's, you know, a desire for that fight anytime soon. If it just, I can't imagine there would be like, okay, yeah, you're, you could do it again in London, your home, home crowd, but is Bellasar really going to want to do that anytime soon? Is Douglas Lima going to want to do that anytime soon? Maybe because he thinks he won, he'll want revenge and to, and to get that win back. But yeah, when, when I hear that, I think, oh, you, you don't want to lose again right away. Like maybe you figure I am going to lose to this guy, to the champion. I don't think I could beat him, but I don't want to lose right away. I just got another win. (laughs) Against the, you know, I got an important W here against Douglas Lima. Like, let's keep the train rolling in the, in the right direction. Hey, remember, he's had fights since the last Lima fight. He's knocked out like four or five guys I in know, a row. I know, but who, like, who were they? I know, I know, he has had wins, right? But like, this is the one that everyone talks about. This is the one he wanted to, the, the you know, the the wrong he wanted to write. And who's he gonna fight next? If it's not like, you can't go from beating Lima. And, and then. It's like if you beat Lima, then yeah, you should fight for the belt. And if you don't want to do that, then who are you going to go back and fight? Like some 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 more of these guys that you just knock out and you know around. I mean now, okay. Well, I will say welterweight is actually getting a little interesting because you got Neiman Gracie had a big win. Uh, Jason Jackson upset Neiman before that. Um, Lima, you kind of put him on the second tier for the moment, and uh, you got obviously Amosov at the top. For my money, it should be, uh, and I don't know, I need to check on if he's injured or something, but Lorenz Larkin, he's put together a nice win streak, and I think when they said that it wouldn't be MVP, then I was like, oh, well, it's for sure Lorenz. Amosov and Lima, you know, that fight has been a couple months now. I kind of thought we might hear an announcement closer to uh, December, but I'm very interested to see the schedule because... Assuming they stay active, I could see Amosov defending against somebody, um, probably mid-November, maybe mid-December. But if they kind of go, if they spin the wheels a little bit, I almost feel like they're going to bottleneck it and you're going to have some really deserving contenders just take each other out of the running. So I'm interested to see what they do there. But um, yeah, I heard that and I'm like, MVP, this is... This is your moment to make me proud, man. And I love watching you. And I was like, he did not just say he's not going to fight him. Come on. Like, I, I, I would be like, he shut everybody up. And I'm like, MVP. It's like the one knock on you. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, it's like that meme of what's her name? Tyra Banks that comes up every time someone does something. We were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. <sighs> Oh. Um, fight announcements, fight announcements, fight announcements. Um, we've got a lot, so just to go through them. Uh, Dan Hooker, he's staying in Vegas. He's got the fight with RDA on October 30th. That's gangster. What are your thoughts? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we know the situation. If he goes back to New Zealand, how long before he gets to fight again? So he was probably like, can you please match me up with anybody? I'm good. Let's go. Um, you know, that's something I'm sure the UFC loves, and I'm sure he loves that the UFC is, is helping, you know, they're, they're working together to help out his cause. More money for him. You know, I don't know what that means for his his team, like his coaches and stuff. Does that mean they all have to stay too? 
And maybe uh, they want to. Eugene Behrman's going home. I think that Hooker, I, I mean, at least if you're going to only keep one, he is. he does have his wrestling coach with him, Stan. Yeah. But no, okay. no, Eugene Behrman will be flying home because I think they got to get ready for Adesanya coming up soon or Kaikara yeah. France, who's back in December. That's crazy. But, you know, I think Hooker's probably like, OK, like uh, we know RDA and we'll watch some footage and we can get some, you know, you can do FaceTime and, and talk about your strategy over the over the Internet. That's easy enough. And there's plenty of coaches in uh, in Vegas that can help you, you know, hold mitts for you and do all that stuff. So. It's a problem that has answers, for which there are many answers. Not ideal, but there's answers. There's there's ways to get around this, and I think it's a great a great move for him to just say, "F it, let's go. I'll stay in Vegas." Well, what's good for him? He's fresh off a fight, so conditioning and a lot of that road work, he doesn't have to worry about going into it. But obviously, Islam is a very you know well. Not drastically, but still quite a difficult challenge without all of your usual tools to prepare for. Yeah. At Bantamweight, uh, Jose Aldo versus Rob Font is being targeted as a Bantamweight main event on December 4th. Uh, You know what? I I like it because I feel like if Jose Aldo is going to get back to the top of the division, uh, they're making him earn it. And I think that he keeps beating these guys. It's him showing that he is still an elite level fighter, despite those setbacks with, you know, Max uh, Volkanovsky and Pewter. Um, for Rob Font, if he's going to have his breakout performance, it's right here. I, I think that this win puts him right there in the conversation to fight the Sanhagen's TJ's, you know, Aljo and everybody. So I like it in that way. What about you? I'm looking forward to seeing Jose Aldo keep, keep shocking the world with his physique, with his stamina, with his aggression. At this point in his career, he's still very young and he's already done so much, but it's just like, wow, man, you're, you're, you're a killer. You're still, you're still giving it as good as you get. So I'm looking forward to that. Of course. Yeah. If Rob Font wins, it's a great win for him. Jose Aldo, like that name at, at, at 145, 135 doesn't get any bigger legend. And, um, you know, future Hall of Famer. So this is a win-win for both fighters and for the division. It's going to be a good one. Derek Lewis against Chris Dawkins, who just got the big victory, uh, you know, essentially about uh, eight days ago at UFC 266. Um, I think anytime you get to see the Lewis throw down with somebody who's got hammers just like him and Chris, I think it's good television. Looks like it's a main event. Um uh, Chris Dawkins did talk about how it's kind of uh, just him and Tom Aspinall on parallel paths to the top of the division. If the UFC honestly sees that for him, a fight with Derek Lewis is exactly what you need to get there. Because I will say this is a huge, huge matchup for Chris to go off, come off of the one that off Shamil, and now he's getting a guy who arguably should have been next for Francis Ngannou. I think that's a big fight. It definitely is. I wonder, you know, Derek Lewis, where is his head? Is he thinking, I just want another fight so I can get, I can get a win back and feel my, feel better, boost my confidence. Or is he kind of just throwing his hands in the air and saying, ah, screw it. I'm just going to fight. I just want to fight and I don't care what the outcome is. Uh, We've seen both, (laughs) both sides of Derek Lewis in that regard. Uh, So another good fight. I just, um, you know, whenever I get excited about heavyweight fights and, and say, oh, they're going to knock each other out in the first round, they never do. So uh, 
that's why I prefaced it with, you know, why is Derek Lewis taking this fight? So if he's out there to kill, to, to, to show everyone that he's still a threat, that someone someone that should still be feared, then then I'm all for it. I think he's got a good dance partner in Chris. I will yeah. say that stylistically. Um, it's a fun one. That first five minutes is going to be bananas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek Brunson against Jared Cannonier on the undercard of what is expected to be UFC 270 on January 22nd. Um, I don't think it's a surprise. Uh, I think when you consider the fact that we're still waiting on Whitaker, not Asanya, I like that Derek said, I'm not going to wait. And I think that uh, Jared, we already knew he wanted a fight. So this fight absolutely made all the sense in the world. So it's not a surprise there. My question do you believe they're going to put Whitaker and Adesanya as the possibly doubleheader, but on this card? That way you have a built-in backup in case of anything. Yeah, that that seems to be the case. Like That, that would make the most sense. Those are the, the guys who are at the top who you could, you know, ostensibly put in for uh, uh, the championship fight. It, yeah, if anything were to fall through, and so why not just put them on the same card? That makes perfect sense. Especially, like, no offense to Whitaker, but, like, there's a little bit of a history there, and so... You just want to, you know, cross your T's, dot your I's, and this is the good way to do it. Um, what I will say, I, I've heard that they maybe want to double stack uh, Nganu and Adesanya together on the same card. I do hope so, because I really want to see them just move it along. But, um, yeah, I'm interested to see, because I feel like we're approaching that time where right about now is when they tend to announce that January pay-per-view. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, so good stuff there. Uh, before we break down the fight, Julia Budd signing with uh, PFL. So she's going to fight on the prelims against Caitlin, Caitlin Young on the championship event on October 27th. They did say she's expected to be part of the Million Dollar Tournament next season. Obviously, she's got the credentials as the longtime Bellator champion. She's only lost to former UFC champions, Cyborg, Nunes, and uh, Ronda, I believe it was. Um uh obviously the big question natalie signing julia plus the fact that there will be pay-per-views with pay-per-view points next year and likely they're gonna offer her just more money per fight anyway is this enough to keep kayla harrison in the pfl yes or no i believe so you know when we were talking about this a while back i think this is one of the things we we sort of figured like what will be the message to Kayla indirectly that the PFL wants to keep her is if they sign Julia Bud. You know, if the UFC signs her too, that tells Kayla Harrison we're going to build up this 145 division. But what is Kayla Harrison, like, what does she want to do? Does she want to try and fight at 145? Does she want to stay at 155? Where the only offering for that, the only legitimate offering for 155 is PFL, you know, um, is it clear where Julia Budd's going to, what weight class she's going to fight in? 55. Like, did, okay. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so to me, this is definitely, yes. PFL is saying, look what we're doing, you know, decorated, longtime decorated champion here for you. Money, more money. Uh, you know, please stay, please stay. I think it'll be enough to do the job, to get the job done. Because like I said, like Bellator UFC, 
Bellator has the robust 145 division. UFC has the glory, the name, everything you want to do. The pinnacle of a career in MMA is fighting for the UFC. Um, but who puts all that together in a nice package? Right now, for Kayla Harrison, it's still PFL. <sighs> when I, I'll say this. When I saw that Bellator didn't have a deal done for Julia Budd, I think that... Uh, uh, th- the the cat they just dropped the bag and what i will say is that had they kept both cyborg and julia you could have made a stronger case if you're bellator um i would agree with you had kayla harrison not made that statement where she said i mean they do this all the time sarah kaufman larissa pacheco in her own words blah 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 and she said all of these girls always disappoint except me and i was like dang that is shots fired um you know uh, i mean we're gonna talk about it a lot so i'm not gonna harp on it but in my opinion i think that kayla harrison is still uh one foot out the door um especially i mean she will also have both hands out the door if she wins the championship when i look at the pay-per-view points I don't see a PFL pay-per-view generating like a UFC pay-per-view. So when you talk about pay-per-view points, I can't say that's necessarily going to be this big number, you know, regardless of how they stack it, right? Okay. Then, I feel like, in all honesty, Kayla and Amanda are going to do a um, Cain Velasquez, Daniel Cormier. Amanda's going to say, I'm going to just stay at 135, where at least I have, like, Aldana and... uh, Aspen and Jermaine and fighters like that and Kayla respectfully when you talk about the women she's fighting in PFL I feel like she's gonna have relative level competition with the size disadvantage and everything in UFC but if she were to come in and become a UFC champion she fights the same kind of fighters PFL is mostly offering her and she's getting twice the attention and three times more money outside of uh, her contract for it. So I think that I think that Kayla Harrison to the UFC is really picking up steam because when I saw her kind of uh, poo-poo on yeah. Julia Budd coming over, I was like, yeah, that's a wrap. I mean, PFL put on their nice suit. They bought her a truck of chocolate and they bought out the florist and they still can't keep their girl. Uh, you know, she's essentially saying, I'm only here because your dog died, but as soon as an adequate amount of time has ended, I am ready to go see other people, PFL. It's like every teenage drama you've ever seen. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about the UFC. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think I could top myself with that, so I'm going to just segue right into it. Yep. Uh, Mackenzie Dern versus Marina Rodriguez. I like this fight. Striker versus grappler. Boxing versus jiu-jitsu. Um, you know who Mackenzie Dern is. I mean, obviously she's uh, been one of the top prospects for years. She wins this one. You are talking about title eliminator. If not outright title shot, depending on what happens next, right? Uh, Marina Rodriguez, uh, her she kind of couldn't get those consecutive W's. She had two draws and two wins. So I think that the numbers didn't exactly suggest just how good she was. But this year, she's really shined. Knocks out Amanda Hibas in January 
on one week notice pretty much routes uh karate hottie michelle waterson um in i believe it was july or may um just really surging i think you saw just how good on a technical level she is for the strawweight division which i really liked seeing but obviously the fight comes down to do you be- can you avoid going to the ground with someone like mckenzie because while mckenzie is a uh, tough and she has a lot of confidence in a firefight i can't tell you that a 25 minute technical battle at mid-range is going to favor mckenzie dern She's got to get Marina down because I don't think she's got the size or athleticism to run her over like she has maybe some of the more other experienced strikers she's faced. Yeah, this is interesting because Mackenzie Dern, of course, grappler, jiu-jitsu, all that, but she's also really strong. Her striking has improved a lot. She's got heavy hands. Now, yes, there is the the firefight advantage she has because she kind of goes a little berserker and because she has heavy hands and doesn't fear getting taken down, she can hurt you. Of course, Marina Rodriguez, Muay Thai, you know, skilled, patient, all the good stuff, all the things that make a grappler nervous, I guess. Um, that's a threat there, but I, I feel like Mackenzie Dern has has everything going in her favor. Not fearing, you know, not being worried about getting taken down. In fact, wanting to take uh, your opponent down. That's that's where Mackenzie Dern is. And I think she can take a punch. I think she'll be able to take a kick and she'll be able to land a punch or two. It might be wild, but I think I actually think she has a better chance of hurting Marina on the feet um, than Marina does hurting Mackenzie on the feet. Now, it may not be the prettiest shot, but she's, like I said, she's just got those bombs, those hurting bombs. And um, she's been looking really good lately. She has her her her, um, her physique is great. She's she's cut. She's fit. I really like her in this. And then I think, okay, what happens if she wins? You know, you mentioned at the top. I think it would be putting her next in line for a title because, you know, Joanna. We've seen that already against Rose and Wei Li Zhang. Carlos Barza, of course, would love to see her fight Rose, but the UFC isn't a huge fan of hers. Um, you know, they could potentially, if Mackenzie Dern wins this fight, pair up Carlos Barza with Mackenzie Dern. Um, but I think they like her enough that, that they might try to shoot her right into a title shot, you know, if the timing lines up. Uh, all that to say, I'm already, you know, uh, tipping my hat here. I think Mackenzie Dern is going to win this fight. I think she's going to end up uh, submitting Marina in round uh, three. I think maybe an arm bar or some kind of choke. Oh, boy. I mean, I think I'll say this. This isn't a test of McKenzie on the mat. This is more a test of McKenzie getting you there. And I think that's really what it comes down to because, you know, Marina, sprawl, brawl, get to the fence, tie her up, don't. Don't sit there and try to throw up your guard if you end up on the bottom of Mackenzie Dern. That's just not going to work. Just everything needs to be about moving, not staying still, getting to the feet. She showed solid cardio against uh, Watterson. Um, what I will say, Mackenzie hasn't had to be a lights-out wrestler. You know, I, I think that respectfully, you know, she just had a overall easier time getting fighters to the ground uh, that really weren't known for being, oh, you're never able to take down a 
Ronda Marcos. You're never able to take down Nina Nunes. You know, she hasn't really faced those kinds of girls. Not saying that Marina Rodriguez is, but I do think that Marina is a different beast entirely. What I will say, though, is that I think that this is everything that Mackenzie's kind of been working for is get better as a striker. And when you're up against a striker who's going to be this good, getting them down. So I think that she's got, uh, she just kind of needs to get about um, two minutes of the time on the mat and she'll probably get a submission or, you know, get it early enough. You'll probably win the rounds. It's a tough fight. It's not going to be easy if Marina shows up the way she has. But I am favoring Mackenzie Dern also. Um, I'm going to go second round sub. Uh, you know what? She's going to get a, a rear naked choke. I think she's going to just uh, keep rolling and transitioning until she gets the back and does her thing. Um, like we said, we talked about the title fight. Uh, I don't know. Carla Sparza is still right there. I think that... um. I almost feel like is Joanna just going to come out of nowhere and be like, I want Mackenzie Dern, the the best striker against the best grappler, you know, arguably. I don't know. What I will say is that I think that um, if we don't hear something about Carla Esparza soon, I would worry that Mackenzie kind of just snakes right through that. And also, how fast does the Whaley or Rose winner come back? Because, you know... Uh, it was a while before the last time we saw both of them so you do wonder just how long it'll be before we see the winner of that one coming up so that's what I'm curious to see there but I'm with you I've got Mackenzie Dern also for the win submission pretty quick Uh, Natalie what I like about Saturday it almost seamlessly works because they're scheduling the main card earlier Obviously, they don't want to go head-to-head with uh, Fury Wilder 3, so Saturday is just a nice afternoon. Order in, kick back, watch the girls throw down, and then watch the heavyweights throw down. Um, And then next week is going to be Holly Holm against Norma Dumont, and we get that as the main event because, obviously, the news came out, I believe it was last week, but we didn't cover it. Misha Tate uh, is out of the fight with Kellen Vieira due to COVID, so we'll get that fight late November, but we get Holly and Dumont as the main event next Saturday. What are your thoughts? Well, I think Holly's going to have a nice, impressive win, and I'm looking forward to seeing how she performs. Like, she's just a better MMA fighter, period, so I think she's going to win, but I really want to see how she looks because... You know, like we said earlier, her and Jermaine, they're just always circling the top of this division. And, uh, you know, if she looks good enough, it could just be like, all right, you know, maybe she'll get Amanda Nunes excited again or I don't know, you know something to get our, our, our champion interested in defending the belt. Yeah, I think that um, really for me, it's about what do we see from Amanda Nunes next? Because normally I'd say, well, this could be a title eliminator, but I feel like the next, I'll say it, I think within the next two months, I think we're going to see a change in the status quo. I think that um, if Amanda gets by Juliana and they they say for sure that um, Kayla Harrison comes over uh, next year, 
I think that the entire what's next for featherweight and bantamweight is changed up. In which case, the winner of this one, still at the top of the food chain somewhere, but they might be seeing a quite different champion than they expected, depending on where they go to next. Hmm. But until then, I will say, yeah, uh, this is Norma Dumont's moment. This is Holly Holm, where Holly Holm tends to thrive, is having to kind of hold serve and make sure she does prove that she's still one of the best in the world. And I'm sure we'll talk about the nuance of the fight at 145. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, it's a busy week. Stay safe. Enjoy your pumpkin spice latte. And we'll be back next week.